You know, I'm Bill Garner. I have, uh, I've had the privilege of serving here at Harvest Church for, for the last uh, seven and a half years. Uh, and I serve presently as the executive pastor here at Harvest. And just want to tell you that this is what happens every week here. If you're visiting for the first time, it seems like God does something really special each week uh, in our services. And God uses uh, the worship time and the preaching of the word uh, for his people's equipping, for us to be equipped and to go out and to be uh, disciple makers and lights in a world uh, that's so full of darkness, salt where there's people so thirsty for truth. And so uh, we're glad that you're here this morning. Uh, I, uh, I like history. I, I don't know about you guys. I like history. I wouldn't say I'm a historian. But I do like history, and I like to read, and I like to read about uh, wars. I think I started about, you know, maybe 30 years ago or so, uh, maybe 35 or so. I don't, I'm not exactly sure, but I remember reading a book called Midway uh, after visiting Pearl Harbor. And uh, then I read a book called D-Day. And uh, by the way, we, we just celebrated the 78th anniversary of D-Day, which is June 6, uh, 1944, where uh, the Allies stormed the, uh, in the Normandy invasion, stormed five, five beachheads. Uh, the most famous of those was Omaha Beach. And uh, the, uh, you know, World War II is crazy. There were 60 to 80 million people killed in World War II. Not many people know that, but just a lot of people lost their lives. A lot of brave men and women who fought in that war lost their lives. I, I'm not a soldier. I didn't fight in any wars. Uh, the closest I ever got to being in battle was ROTC in 10th grade. Uh, I didn't even know what it stood for at the time, Reserve Officers Training Corps. Uh, I didn't realize I was training in 10th grade to be a, a soldier. And, uh, but again, I've never fought in battle. Uh, we're going to start a series here at Harvest that does deal with warfare. You know, Paul, in his letter to, second, uh, to Timothy, 2 Timothy, he uses three il illustrations or examples or descriptions of what Christians are. Do you guys remember what they are in 2 Timothy chapter 2? He talks about uh, Christians as farmers, the hardworking farmer. He talks about an athlete, that Christians are like athletes. But he also uses the illustration of uh, example of soldiers. He calls Christians, all Christians are soldiers. In our text, uh, it's going to say uh, we wrestle. Maybe we can call ourselves professional wrestlers. Uh, I'm not sure. I think soldiers is probably the better term. But uh, in this war that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6 that we're going to read about in just a second, we are all engaged in combat. We're all soldiers in this battle. If you're a Christian, then you're a soldier. You're in the middle of a war, and the war is spiritual. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. Uh, but let me re remind you that, again, that there is a fight that's taking place. Uh, there are books been written about it. John, uh, John White wrote a book called The Fight uh, that we're all engaged in. And uh, in this Christian battle, this war, we all fight. We all are uh, instructed to overcome we're not supposed to just watch the fight and watch the battle. We actually all fight. So we're going to talk about that fight this morning um, that we find here in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. 
And I'm going to ask if you, you to stand, please, if you would, if you're able, as we read God's Word, beginning in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against, what? The schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, since this is true, take up the full armor of God, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, this is uh, the word of God for the people of God, and the people of God said, praise be to God, please be seated. In our text this morning, we're introduced to this concept of spiritual warfare. Paul has spent uh, six chapters getting here. I'll go into that a little bit deeper in just a few minutes. But he's, uh, he's alluded to spiritual warfare in chapters 4 and chapter 5 where he talks about deceitful schemes and craft, craftiness. He talks about uh, once we were children of darkness, but now we're children of light. And for us in this Western culture, spiritual warfare, spiritual fighting is a, it's a hard thing to grasp. It's a hard thing for us to wrap our minds around that there's an evil that exists in the spiritual realm. Uh, it's not so hard in other countries. If you go to Asia or South America or India or those type places, uh, you're, you're, you deal with this on a, on a regular basis. You know, I went to India about uh, seven or eight years ago. Now, I remember um, we flew into Hyderabad and we drove from Hyderabad way out away, about three hours away to a Banjara village. And uh, if you had been transported there, if we were transported there right now, it's a very primitive village uh, where there's, there's very little running water, uh, it's, there are probably 2,000 people in this village. There's a Hindu temple in the middle of this village where animals are regularly sacrificed. Uh, and the culture is very primitive. And I remember we spent a whole week there in, in the village. And at the end of the week, we were, we were teaching. And uh, the pastor, Pastor Nyack, uh, came up to me before the service. And he said, hey, uh, and after the service is over, uh, we're going to pray over someone who's demon-possessed. Okay, I don't know if you've ever had that privilege to do that, uh, but that was my first uh, to actually pray over someone who was demon-possessed. And so the thoughts that came into my mind, uh, you know, like, how big a fella is this guy? You know, is this, this going to be really scary? And I, he said, no, it's just uh, this woman over here. She was an older woman. She was probably in her 80s. And uh, by everything, by all appearances, it looked like she, she could be demon-possessed. She had... Um, uh, she had jewelry on and markings that indicated that she was heavily involved in the spirit world. But uh, just looking at her, I thought, I, you know, things go south here. I think I can handle her. Um, and believe me, I was a little bit, a little bit afraid. But, but I preached or taught that lesson. And then after the service is over, we gathered around, several of us gathered around. And 
I had a young lady who was with us on the trip who asked if she could pray with us too. And I said, sure. She was a great, like, you know, when you're praying with people, uh, sometimes you can tell uh, who really is familiar with prayer. And she was very familiar with prayer. And of course, I said, yes, I would love to have you pray with us. And she did. And we sat around this lady and we prayed for her. And I, nothing crazy happened. But in the middle of praying, uh, this young lady broke out into to tongues. All right. Now, I don't, I've never prayed in tongues. I've never, I've never prayed in tongues. And I don't believe in the cessation of the gifts, but I've, I've never prayed in tongues. But here I am in the middle of this culture in a place that I'm telling you was very primitive, looked like the book of Acts as far as I could tell, praying over a woman who the pastor said was demon-possessed and the lady breaks out in tongues. I did not think any of it was strange <laughs> in that setting. But when we come to a setting like the one we're in, in the culture that we're in, this Western culture, all of that seems very strange and foreign to us. So as we dive into this text, we're going to be talking about some things that are very important for us to understand about spiritual warfare, something that's not natural, something that's basically not explainable with terms that we use in our culture, but something in God's economy that's, that's there, that exists, that's actually all around us. Now, before we dive into this text, I, I, I want to pray. I just want to pray that God would uh, watch over us in this time, that he'd open our minds and our hearts to the truth of his word, and that he would prepare us for this battle that we all are engaged in. So let me pray for us, and you pray where you are, if you would, just uh, that the clarity of the scriptures would be taught this morning, and that you would hear what God's trying to tell you and teach you this morning. So Father, thank you for this time that we have. Thank you that you are here with us. I do pray for a peace that passes understanding in our hearts and our minds. Lord, we're in a battle, it's a spiritual battle, and I don't think it's it's going to take too much to convince the people that are gathered, gathered in this room that evil exists. Because in some ways, Lord, I'm preaching to the choir. We know this. But I pray, God, that we would sense and understand uh, who we're fighting against, what his methods are, and what the methods you've given us to fight back are. Pray that you take your word this morning, illuminate it for our understanding so we could be equipped for the work that you've called us to do. In Christ's name, amen. Now, I think it's important to remember, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, and I'm probably going to get way outside of my notes today, <laughs> I can tell already. Um, uh, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, Satan is described as crafty and subtle, and so the enemy is very subtle. It's important to remember this is a spiritual enemy that we're fighting. He's very subtle or crafty. That's how he's described it. In, in Genesis. And so we're not wrestling against flesh and blood as the text has told us. Uh, and we know that, there's, that we do battle against things where there's a visible expression or a fleshly expression of, of evil. We do battle against crime. We do have wars that are being fight, fought. We, we do have struggles with addiction. We do have laws in place to maintain order. Uh, we fight injustice and racism and all those type of things which are manifestations of evil. But behind all of those things there's something that's very, very evil. 
And uh, in our society, and again, I don't think in this room uh, I'm going to have a hard time convincing you of the pervasiveness of evil in our world today. You know, I I learned a new term this week. It's called uh, intractable, the word intractable, uh, which basically means that, that it's not easily cured or relieved. And so if you're like me, there's a growing frustration with what we see around us. There's an explanation. It's evil. There's evil behind all of this. But there's an intractability to what we see. It's not easily relieved. It's not readily cured. We don't know how sometimes to battle what we see in front of us and what surrounds us. The solutions are complex. With every measure we take to battle evil, it seems like there's a correlating uh, measure to fight against our battle of evil. There's a countermeasure that Satan ta- uh, takes. And in our, in our society, uh, apart from those who are regenerated by, the, by God, who have the Spirit of God living in them, our society wants to come up with natural solutions to evil. We blame things on poverty or lack of education or the way that children are raised by their parents. There's always an attempt to try to explain evil in our society through natural means or scientific measures. But I don't know how you explain. Gunmen going into a school and shooting children. I don't, I don't know how to explain those types of things. Or a crazy person on the other side of the world invading countries and committing genocide just for his own diabolical purposes. You know, there was a shooter uh, a few years back in, in Las Vegas who killed over 60 people out of a hotel room in Las Vegas. 60-something people. The man was 64 years old. The FBI did a study on what motivated him to do this. And at the end of the day, if you've read the study, you know what motivated him to do this? Nothing. Nothing. He just did it. They said he was suicidal and he just wanted to go out in a destructive way, taking his own life and taking the lives of 61 people with him. And I'm going to tell you, there's no explanation for that other than saying that evil exists. And behind all these things, there's something evil. Now, the good news is for us as Christians, we have an explanation. We have an explanation for it. We know what's behind all of that. It's evil. So as Christians, it's important for us to know in this battle, this spiritual warfare, let's not get sidetracked. Let's not start, you know, putting the, a face on evil and, and reducing evil to behaviorism or some person or some system. Let's get busy with this as Christians and understand we're in a spiritual battle. 
It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against those things. It's against something beyond that. So who are we fighting? In our text, we're told in verse 11 that we are to stand against the schemes of who? The devil. So the devil is behind all of this. The devil's behind all this. Now, first, let me give you a couple words of caution. You've heard this before. We cannot ascribe too much power to the devil. Okay, the devil is not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He's not everywhere at the same time. He's very limited in what he can do. And our battle is not against him. It's not all against him. We battle against the world. We get battle against the flesh. We battle against the devil. He is the devil. He's not everywhere, and God is more powerful than he is. But we can make the other mistake. We can give the, the devil too little power. We can be casual about him. We can deny his existence. We can think too little of him. And folks, that's a terrible mistake to make. Let me go through the scriptures and try to acquaint you with who he is. He was a magnificent angel created by God who was thrown from heaven because of rebellion that he started against God. And with him he took one third of the angels. He was defeated by the commander of the Lord's army. The archangel Michael, Michael was the captain of the Lord's army. But Satan took with him a host of other angels. Those angels are described in our text in a hierarchy. They're described as authority, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, and spiritual forces. It's organized. He has an organized following with him. Organized in levels of power and hierarchy. If you want to read more about all of this, you can go to Isaiah 14. In Isaiah 14, you'll find the, the, uh, some of the reasoning for Satan's being thrown, Satan being thrown out of heaven. There are five I wills there that Satan talks about. The last was, I will be like the Most High. In other words, he was rebellious. He wanted to be autonomous, his own ruler. That sound familiar? Because it's a seed deeply planted in our hearts as well. Autonomy, rebellion, lack of surrender to God and his authority, being our own person, not subject to his rule, constantly rebelling against his authority in our lives. That's who Satan is as well. That's what he did. In Ezekiel 28, it talks a little bit more about who Satan is. In Luke 10... Verse 18, we're told more about this. And in Revelation 12, we're given more. So those are four texts if you'd like to, to go look at further, you can, you can study. But let me just say this. At one point, Satan was, he was assigned to be a guardian cherub, angel, magnificent in appearance, wondrous in his ability to reason. We're told that he was wiser even than Daniel. He was wise. These rulers, these authorities, these spiritual forces and evil 
cosmic powers are in this thing called this present darkness. These are angels like Apollyon, who's mentioned in Revelation chapter 9. If you ever read Pilgrim's Progress, Christian had to face Apollyon. And as he did, he was, he was afraid. These are, these are creatures that, that uh, their, their presence is awesome and magnificent. And most of the time when humans were in their presence, they were awestruck and fearful. Now, I've never been in their presence, but that's how they're described. I've never seen an angel that I'm aware of. These angels oppose God and, and his angels. Apollyon was one of them. We're told in Daniel chapter 10, which is a fascinating two chapters. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel talks about an angel that ruled over Persia, a fallen angel. And God had, uh, uh, Daniel had offered up prayers to God, and those prayers, the, the prayers were delayed, the answer to those prayers were delayed by 21 days because the, an, the angel sent to respond was opposed by this angel of Persia until Michael got there. All this is taking place in the heavenlies. And then we're told after that angel leaves, gives that message, Gabriel gives that message to Daniel that there would be another opposing angel, the angel assigned to Greece. And so you see this this battle taking place, and we have glimpses of this throughout the scriptures. Again, hard to wrap your mind around it. Um, uh, It was easier for me to do this. I read a book about uh, 30 years ago called This Present Darkness. Anybody ever read that book, This Present Darkness? It's pretty scary. You know, but it, it talks about this battle in a spiritual realm that's taking place in this present darkness. For the most part, it's unseen. But again, when these angels do appear to men in their full glory, they're almost impressively magnificent and overwhelming. It's almost impossible for us to completely understand this unless you're in Christ or unless you've seen one. And you know, it's hard to believe this, but you think about our God, okay, who operates as a spiritual being. If we can understand that, that God operates as a spiritual being, we ought to be able to understand that there's another being who's equal, not equal, but who's evil. Evil in his powers who operates as a spiritual being. So there's an evil that exists behind all of these works, and it's organized, and it's destructive, and it's led by devil, the devil. In John 8, 44, he's described as the father of lies. And the greatest lie that Satan has achieved is blinding the eyes of so many to his existence. Just blinded our eyes, blinded so many eyes to his existence. And so man will go through, natural man goes through all sorts of mental gymnastics and lengths to explain away evil in our world today. Now, there's a term that's found in verse 13, it's referred to as the evil day, that we may be able to withstand in the evil day. What is the evil day? We could spend, I don't know, three or four weeks talking about the evil day. 
But just for, for our benefit, let me, let me define it as being everything that takes place between Genesis chapter 3, and you know what happened there, the fall of man, sin and entered the world, everything that happened between Genesis 3 and what takes place in Revelation chapter 19. You know what happens there? The rider on the white horse appears, and who's that? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he ushers in his kingdom. And so what day are we in right now? We're in the evil day. We're in an evil day. That evil day, it's, gonna la- it's a pretty long day. <laughs> but it's an evil day. You know, uh, my father-in-law, um, got to give him a shout out. He always says that, um, you know, that we're, we're waiting on the Lord's return, right? And, and most of us are hoping that that's, that takes place quickly. It happens soon. Because we see things spiraling very, very quickly. Accelerated spiral, it seems like in our world today. But he always says in that, in the meantime, it's going to be a meantime. <laughs> it's gonna be a tough time waiting on the Lord's return because we're living in an evil day. You agree with that? It's an evil day that we're in. Okay, so we know we're fighting against, it's a spiritual battle. We're fighting against Satan, the devil, his minions, his armies. You know, and by the way, we're only touching the tip of the iceberg this morning. We're going to cover this for about eight more weeks where we talk about spiritual warfare so that we can make sure that the, 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 the believers here at Harvest are equipped for this battle that we're fighting. So let me ask you this. Do you understand, you understand that? But do you understand how Satan fights? Because that would be point number two. Who we're fighting? The devil. How does he fight? We're told that he has methods. The word uh, in, in verse 11 is schemes. The word schemes literally is translated, uh, transliterate methods. Satan, and it's plural, Satan has methods. He has schemes. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that he doesn't want us to be what? Ignorant of what? The devil's methods. So we're supposed to know what they are. What are his methods? Um, his methods are to slander, to lie. He's going to lie and he's going to slander. And he's going to, because of our own sin, he's going to, and we're flawed. Let me just say, we're flawed as, as people. Uh, we, the curse of sin uh, is something that we all are under. We're flawed in our nature. And uh, but there's a pervasiveness of sin in our, in our society. And the scriptures teach that, uh, that we're born with that nature, that we're born with that sin nature. We came into this world as sinners. Now, I don't want to offend any new mothers because I know those children are precious uh, and those little babies are really, really, really cute until they get to the point where they become very selfish. <laughs> you know, you don't have to teach children how to sin. They learn how to do that naturally. I could give you story after story of my own experiences, but you've got enough of your own. You've got enough stories of your own to know that we naturally have a propensity to sin, to be selfish, to be rebellious. We're enslaved to our sin until something happens to us, until our eyes are opened. And we just spent four chapters 
in, in or the first uh, four ch- three chapters of the book of Ephesians. If you read the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, what you learn is we didn't do anything. We didn't do anything to set ourselves free, to rid ourselves of that, to, of that imprisonment that we were in. God did something for us. He opened our eyes. He gave us life. He regenerated us. The Bible says that by, but we were, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, in Ephesians chapter 2, he made us alive in Christ Jesus. And so our only hope, our only hope in this battle is because of our propensity to sin, our only hope is in Christ and in the newness of life that we find in him and the regeneration that he gives us and the power of his Holy Spirit living in us to give us freedom from the devil and his works and from his methodology. You know, I, 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 uh, I, I think there are, there are basically two primary devices that Satan uses, uh, his methodology. The first is temptation, okay? Write that down. Satan, his primary, one of his primary methods is to tempt us. And again, Satan can't make us evil, but he can take the evil in us and draw it out and make it even worse. And he does this through temptation. Now, if you're looking for a, a sequence of how temptation works, uh, you'll find it in the book of James. The book of James talks about uh, temptation and how that all works. Temptation, James says, meets with what? It meets with our desire, something from within, something new we want. Satan goes, I'm going to dangle this in front of them and tempt them. I'm going to tempt them with something that's attractive to them. It's going to meet with their desire. And once that desire meets that temptation, it produces sin. And the end result of that sin is always death. So temptation really plays upon our personal pride. Okay, our desire for autonomy and achievement. You know, we, we get to a place sometimes where we think, I'm, I'm beyond that particular sin. You ever been there before? We think, I'm beyond that. I'm through with that. I'm not ever going to do that again. Or I mean again, or I mean I'm not going to do it again. It's not going to happen. I'm not, I'm not susceptible to that. Or, or it's just a small thing. You know, it's just a small sin. It's not hurting anybody. It's, not a, it's just a little thing. Or how about, um, you know, I've gotten away with this before. It didn't seem like it was that big a deal. And, you know, nobody knew. It didn't seem like anything happened. I've done it before. Or how about, uh, how about uh, the presumption upon grace? You ever been there? Where I'm gonna, God, God, God's going to forgive me. I'm just going to go ahead. This time, I'm going to go ahead and presume upon God's grace. Or how about rationalization of, of that? You know, uh, yeah, I may be committing adultery. But, you know, I, I, give, I give 15% of my tithe to the church and you know, I, I even volunteered to work in the children's ministry, you know, so, I mean, good grief. I'm not, I struggle there, yeah, but everybody's got their sins, right? That temptation just to kind of pass it off is, you know, I'm just as good as that guy next to me. So temptation kind of works against our pride or our desire for autonomy or our, 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 our uh, kind of, it's, it's a self-absorption where we go, yes, I, I, 
I deserve those type things. He draws us to sin. You know, I was, I was sitting there uh, thinking about this. I was sitting there uh, uh, a couple weeks ago. I was watching uh, my son-in-law fish, you know, and we had a, he, he was, I was standing on a hill and the lake was really clear water. And he was fly fishing. You know, that's, that's another thing I want to do. I kind of want to sing like Effie and I want to fly fish, learn how to fly fish. Like one of those is achievable. But uh, so I'm watching fly fish and he's got this line and he's doing all that, you know, the 10-2, 10-2, with that line out. He throws that and there's this little bug on the end of the, of the line. It's, it's almost imperceivable. It really is almost imperceivable. And it's a floating fly. And uh, he's just kind of pulling that thing back in. And you can see there's like three or four bass, little bass, like, and they're just kind of inching up, inching up, inching up. And they want it so bad and they're looking at it. And, and, they're, they're, and they're ready just to grab that, that little bug. And uh, what they don't realize is uh, in every worm there's a hook. And, and that's what Satan does to us. In every little worm he throws out there for you with temptation, you're, you're seeing something that looks really attractive. You think it's going to be great. You think you're going to get away with it. You think it's going to bring kind of join pleasure into your life. I've sat across the table from people before that told me they're committing adultery because God wants them to be happy and they weren't happy in their marriages. You know, and I've said, you know, well, how about your children? Does God want your children to be happy? Because they're not going to be happy about this. Their marriage, their family is destroyed because God wants you to be happy, which is a lie. It's a lie Satan gives us. That our happiness is the, the end. That's our end. That's our goal. Our personal happiness if we're not happy, we're going to be happy. We're going to get there. And Satan goes, I can make you happy. Look at this. Fly fishing us all the way. And he doesn't tell you there's a hook in that worm. There's a hook in that worm. He draws us to sin. He hides the hook. He entices us. He entices us with our own desires. Remember that. We'll get back to that in a second. Then the second thing that he does is he accuses us. Okay? So we have temptation which is one of his methods, and it works really well. You really know, need to know what tempts you, by the way. You know, you need to understand what tempts you. You need to understand that God provides an escape for your temptations as well. You need to understand that the people you run with will also pull you toward temptation. You need to look around at the people you're running with. Bad morals, the scriptures say corrupts us people with bad company corrupts good morals so be careful there but he's also going to accuse you he's going to accuse you what's that play on one plays basically on a high view of ourselves the temptation the other plays on a low view of ourselves okay so he can go either way you want you got a high view of yourself i got something for you you got a low view of yourself i got something for you too and he does stuff like he'll say, uh, he'll, say uh, he'll hide God's love from you, okay? He'll hide God's love from you and make you keenly aware of your failure, his judgment. He doesn't love you. He hates you. He's going to punish you. He's going to make your life miserable. You know, sadly, I've known people who, who uh, have committed heinous crimes, Heinous sins in their lives. Heinous. I mean, things that are irreprehensible. Things that you, you shudder to think about. 
and you hurt for, the, you hurt for them because of what, what they've done. And I, I've talked to people before who, who don't want to come to church because of the things they've done. They're, they're embarrassed. They're ashamed of what they've done. And, and, and they, they say something like, you know, I don't want to come to church. I, I already feel bad enough about myself. I don't want to come there and feel the judgment from everyone else as well. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Satan's behind that. You know, uh, in the first place, you know, uh, uh, like Jesus said, if you're without sin, <laughs> you, know, you cast the first stone. You go ahead. I'm right behind you. You, you want to judge somebody else, you, you go right ahead. I, I can't. I've, I, I've got too much baggage in my own life. You know, I, I know who I am. I know what God's delivered me from. I know what he's forgiven me from. In fact, we're told that if you've been forgiven much, you love much, you know? And so I want to tell people that that, uh, that low view of themselves, the accuser who's saying God could never love you, you tell me what grace can't cover. You tell me what God's grace can't cover. You tell me how much sin... God can't cover by his grace. There's hope for all of us, amen? God's redeemed us. He's forgiven us of so much. And it's only self-righteous people who don't understand that. And self-righteousness is not a good thing. Again, it's more of a high view of yourself. High view. But Satan will tell you, you're unworthy. God can't love you. You've done too much. And it's a lie. And why is it a lie? It's from the father of lies. And his, his goal, his method is deception. And his goal is destruction. And he'll go either way with you, wherever you are. He'll take you down the high-minded way or the low-minded way. And he wants to keep you in that ditch that you're in. And he doesn't want the captives to be set free. But we are free. We've been freed by Christ, by what he did for us. And so we, we have to take a stand. I mean, we literally, as believers, have to take a stand. We don't stand in our own strength. We stand in his might. That's what the scriptures say. Not our own might. Our might, <laughs> you know, there's some strong, strong people here. There's some courageous people here. But we don't need human courage. <laughs> you know, we don't need human strength. We need we need strength that God provides. You know, if you look at the strength of his might, what it's really implying is this. It's not something that we can actually manufacture. That's really what we learn from, from uh, the first three chapters of Ephesians. It's something that's not, not done by us. It's something that's done in us. God does something in us and gives us a platform to stand on. I don't care how strong-minded you are, how smart you are, how courageous you are. How many natural battles you've won, you cannot stand against Satan and his methods. You cannot stand. You'll fall. You'll fail. We have to stand on the Lord in the strength of his might. But we have to stand. We have to fight. We have to engage. And we have to overcome. And we can overcome. You know, it's like when Moses refused the pleasures of Egypt. When he did that, he chose, he chose affliction with his people what was he overcoming? He was overcoming the temptation to love pleasure, to love pleasure. 
When Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, when they were taken and beaten and they were warned by the Sanhedrin, the authorities and the council not to preach in Jesus' name, not to talk about him. And they said, we can't talk about anything other than what we've seen and what we've heard with our own eyes. They had to overcome something there. They had to overcome their fear, their fear of man. When Matthew, the tax collector, was sitting at a table collecting taxes and all he could think about was riches and wealth and Jesus said, come and follow me and he left it all on a table behind him and he turned and followed Christ, what was he overcoming? He was overcoming the love of money in his life. I don't know what you're having to overcome or where you're having to take a stand in your life. God does, he does, he knows that. He knows that, so we're fighting against Satan, the devil, evil. The methods are, he's gonna use accusations and temptations. He's a liar. He's gonna lie to you. He's gonna try to take you out of this uh, this battle. He's going to, That's that's what he's gonna do. Put on the full armor of God. That's what he gives us to fight this. It's not, we can't hide behind our wealth or our good looks or our family history, (laughs) or somebody else's faith. We can't do that. We have to to put on the full armor of God. And so what he gives us is this picture, and this is what I want to describe to you, this picture that he, he gives us. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against... So there's a wrestling that's taking place in this picture of armor. Now, I think what Paul has in mind when he talks about uh, this soldier, what I think he has in mind is uh, the Roman soldier. All right, I think as he goes through, and we'll talk about the pieces of the armor later, but I think what God has in mind in terms of the armor is we're putting on this armor. Those soldiers fought six feet apart. They held their ground against the advancing enemy. They held their ground, and they fought side by side, kind of like us, side by side, hold your ground, armor of God. You know, we're not, it's not like a martial arts movie where we're going around throat punching and fly kicking people. We're actually just standing there with the armor of God fighting against the devil as he advances against us in wrestling, wrestling. Now, when you talk about wrestling, you're talking about something that's close up, okay? We're not talking about, uh, you know, again, professional wrestlers. We're all wrestling. And I think the implication there is this. Satan's going to attack you Personally. Personally. You know, the battle's not fought like we're not sitting in a room some distance away sending drones to do airstrikes, all right? We're personally going to be engaged in battle against the devil. He's going to attack you. And uh, you may think you can bribe him to leave you alone by basically saying, I'm not going to fight. I'm okay. Just kind of want to, you know, just lukewarm my way into heaven. Get there just by, I'm not going to be a trouble for you, Satan. I'm just going to kind of play over here. You know, Fort Churchill had some things about to say about that. He said, you can't negotiate with a tiger when your head is in his mouth. It's like feeding a crocodile, expecting him to eat you last. You're going, he doesn't play that game. And fear, I understand it. I've been afraid many a time. I've failed many a time. The good news is we have a forgiving God. A forgiving God who loves us, who equips us, and all these pieces of armor that he has are all, everything is is for the battle, facing the battle, which leaves us exposed behind. 
But the book of Isaiah tells us the Lord will go before us and the God of Israel will be our rear guard. Okay? We're going to move in time, into a time of communion right now. And as we do that, I want to, I just want to remind you that we're fighting an enemy that can't be fought with natural weapons. If you're not in Christ, if you haven't, if you don't understand the gospel, that God loved you, he gave his life for you, he died in your place for, for your sins. He willingly took on flesh and blood to give us hope to overcome not only here, but to be overcomers for eternity, living with him. You haven't done anything he can't forgive. Nothing. But you need to assess where you are. And I would say this as continuation of this sermon. Look at your life. Where, where does Satan attack you? Take inventory. What are the areas? Be smart. Know. Know what your weaknesses are. Put on God's armor. Take off that old stuff. Put the new stuff on. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. This table reminds us that Jesus died for us. He gave his blood. He gave his life. He gave his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. He gave his life so that we could have eternal life. And as often as we drink this, we do this in remembrance of that. We celebrate that we, he did something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. So I'm going to encourage you. If you don't know Christ, we've got men who will be standing over here. Men and women will be standing over here under that disciple-making sign. They'll pray with you. If you don't know Jesus, if you're sitting here this morning and you think you have done something he can't forgive you for, you've never trusted in him, you run over there during this time of communion. You talk to one of those guys, and they'll tell you how you can be forgiven for your sins. No matter who you are, what you've done, Christ can forgive. Father, thank you for this time as we've gathered around your word. Use this table to remind us of your glory, not ours. In Jesus' name, amen.